Before we read our text today, I want you to recall, that might take some thinking, but recall the kindest thing that someone has ever done for you. I want you to kind of dig down deep in the recesses of your mind and think, what is the kindest thing someone has ever done for me? Maybe it wasn't even a specific act so much, but maybe someone's just significant presence in your life that made a huge difference. I want you to go there. Now, I want you to think about how that did or still does make you feel. Okay, I want you to get in touch with that feeling that you're experiencing when you go there. That feeling that you are reattaching to in this moment is going to be the subject of our text today. And that is gratitude. What is it? How do the scriptures portray it? And what use is it? Or maybe we might say, what does it mean to us? That's what we're going to look at this morning in John's Gospel. Again, the text is John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to it. Six days after Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we come to quite a familiar text, we ask that you would bring it anew to our minds. We pray that as we engage with your inspired words given to us, uh, that you would engage our hearts, not just our minds. Lord, let us not just look at this and say, yes, I know this story. Help us to uh, learn what it means for us today. I pray that the same Holy Spirit that resides in us, the same Holy Spirit uh, that inspired this text would be active among us now, anointing us with your presence, teaching us the truths about Scripture. Because if it were not for him, we wouldn't understand a word of what we're about to read. So help us, Lord. We lean on your Holy Spirit's uh, teaching to teach us to our hearts and our minds, all of our being, what you're trying uh, to show us this morning about your son Jesus and about ourselves. We pray these things in his name. And amen. Amen. So Mary anoints Jesus' feet and Jesus applauds this embodied gratitude and reassures us of its use. He's teaching us there actually is a purpose in all of this. But first, before we jump into the subject of gratitude, I want us to get a little bit of context, uh, maybe kind of get us up to speed to see where we are in this story. So Jesus raised Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha that we just read about, from the dead, and the Jews afterwards were wondering if Jesus would attend the Passover. You'll recall this from chapter 11, right? Uh, They were wondering if he would attend Jerusalem in Passover since orders were given to his arrest. 
If they found him, the Jews were going to arrest Jesus. And this is where we left off last time in chapter 11. I know it's been a couple weeks back since we did our Christmas series. But here we are in chapter 12, and Jesus picks up by saying it's now six days before Passover. Now, this is the final Passover for Jesus. This is the Passover where the Passover lamb, Jesus, will be sacrificed in his crucifixion. So Jesus is very near to his death. It's coming up. So Jesus is now in Bethany, which is about two miles, or we might say about less than an hour's walk, because back then you walked most places that you went. It's about an hour's walk from the city of Jerusalem, where he's been invited for a dinner, presumably for his gracious act, because um, it is the family of Lazarus who invites him, right? this man who's been raised from the dead. And right after mentioning Lazarus' revival from the dead, it says, so... Some of your translations might say, therefore, so so they gave a dinner for him, that is, for Jesus. So the dinner is for Jesus that he's at. So this is a celebratory dinner for his kindness to this whole family, maybe even also Simon the leper. Maybe, maybe Simon was uh, one who was healed by Jesus, and he is also thanking Jesus for what Jesus has done to this family and, and this, this small little community holding this dinner for Jesus in their house. So Martha's in the kitchen, slaving away, and We're not going to pick on her today because John doesn't pick on her in his gospel. So we'll let her off the hook today. But you have Martha slaving away in the kitchen. And then Mary does this this thing, this very odd thing. But why? Why does Mary do this? What propels Mary to do this act? And that is gratitude. Gratitude. What is gratitude? Well, if you think about it, gratitude is actually a feeling Less than an action. It really is a feeling. It's the positive emotion that leads a person to reward or bless the one who blessed them. So it's uh, it's a tendency. It's a state of being more than an actual action. In other words, gratitude can be felt but not acted upon. You can, you can feel uh, uh, that, that feeling of gratitude but not act on it. In other words, it can be suppressed or expressed, right? Gratitude is something that's kind of laid in our lap, and we have the decision to choose what we will do with it. So Mary's extravagant response was, in a way, simply the incarnational, which we've been talking a lot about this. Another way to say that would be the the fleshed out, the, the embodied implication of what she was feeling. Her heart tended towards gratitude, and her proceeding actions were influenced by this. Gratitude is what led her to do what she did to Jesus. Now, let's look at Mary's expression of gratitude a little bit deeper. At a glance, we see it was extravagant, it was uncalculated, it was definitely bizarre, and perhaps even socially inappropriate. Okay? Let's break that down. It was extravagant in that she uses expensive perfume. It says nard, about a pound of it, in an expensive container. Other Gospels accounts say that it was in an alabaster jar, which would have been expensive in and of itself. So it's extravagant. It's uncalculated because she uses all of it rather than the normal use. It's not just a spray of perfume. She breaks the whole jar. And, and like I said, the alabaster jar was broken, so there was no containing. Once, once the jar is broken, it's done. It would be like breaking a bottle of perfume. It's done. There's no way to bottle that back up. It's all gone. So it's extravagant. It's uncalculated. And it's bizarre. It's very odd, isn't it? She uses it on his feet. Do you ever put perfume on your feet? No, no. 
she probably anointed his whole body. If you look according to the other Gospels, if you harmonize them, which you should do as you're reading the, the New Testament, reading through the Gospels, look at all the accounts and put, that, uh, put all those facts together to get the whole picture. So the whole picture would be that she anointed probably his whole body because the other accounts say she anointed his head, uh, but she especially anoints his feet. That's what it focuses in on this text today. This was an odd thing for her to do. And we look at it and we wondered what would possess her to, to, to wipe her hair on Jesus' feet. Think about that. The union between feet and hair is peculiar because they're nearly polar opposites, not just in their location. Yes, your hair is up here, your feet are down there. But in another sense, hair is given to women as their glory. And I mean that in a literal sense. Paul speaks in the Corinthian letters about women wearing head coverings as symbols of authority over their head to veil their glory. Right? So there's this element of glory. This is something precious that she's uh, offering to Jesus here. But the feet, well, feet are what you step in dog poop with. Right? <laughs> the, the, there's total opposites. Uh, imagine a world where Nike hasn't fully encased every foot that you see. And you're still living in a Birkenstock age where sandals are the only thing between your foot and the numerous dung piles along the road. Because transportation in Jesus' day dropped piles like your exhaust pipes now drips water. It's everywhere. When you drive your car around, you don't mind little drops of water on the road, do you? Right? Think about what drops out of a donkey. Think about what drops out of a camel. Right? That's their roads. That's the situation uh, that they're dealing with. That's where they're walking around all the time. It's everywhere. Now, compound that grossness with the fact that dust is also everywhere. And think about the times that maybe you've went on a, a hiking trip and you wore sandals. Right? You wore sandals and afterwards you took it off and you realize, wow, my feet are really dirty because there's a, the exact shape of my sandal on my foot. This is probably what it looked like every time Jesus took his sandals off. The, the reality is, is Jesus was a man. He walked around. He stepped in all kinds of stuff like you step in. He was an incarnational being. So his foot looked like your foot when you step in stuff. His foot looked like your foot when you get it dusty and gross. So think about that. The, the combination of, of sweat and dirt and perhaps even traces of animal feces is what Mary decides to dedicate her hair and expensive perfume to. It's absurd. It's preposterous. It doesn't make sense. All right. So there, there's the bizarre element. Now, I also said it's a little bit socially inappropriate. Right. If you think about it, she used her hair to wipe the perfume. Now, a woman's hair was something that she kept covered for modesty. Women didn't let their hair down back in that day. So she breaks this social standing by letting her hair down in the presence of all the people, not just her husband. Back then, women kept their heads covered, and the only people that saw the woman's hair letting down is the, the significant other in the bedroom, right? So that's, it's a little bit uh, inappropriate in the way that she does, uh, does this. So in and of itself, this would have turned an eye. But when you compile all of these things together, what you have is a, a carnival-like event where all the norms are kind of turned upside down. Yet somehow it proved to be, and this is Jesus' words, a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing, not typically what you would think of when you bring all those things together and you look at it and you say that you don't normally say that's beautiful. But this is what Jesus says about it. It's a beautiful thing that scripture even commends. So let's look a little bit deeper at what the scriptural portrayal is here. We see a couple characters in the story. We see Mary does this thing and then we have some responses to it. Let's look at Judas's response in verse four and five. It says, but Judas Iscariot. One of his disciples, one of Jesus' disciples, that is, he who is about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300, 300 denarii and given to the poor? OK, 
So before we even read what he's about to say, what Judas is about to say, notice John kind of grooms your mind to realize he's in the wrong here. Judas is the bad guy. So spoiler alert, he's about to portray Jesus. John John has given a clear picture of who this uh, Judas is in this story. Now, let's look at what Judas is doing here. What is Judas in the wrong for? Well, Judas's fatal flaw is really that he starts to rationalize this act. He thinks about it perhaps a little bit even too hard. Judas isn't even happy that the oil is being used at all. He doesn't want Mary using this perfume. Perfume is not a necessity. It's a luxury, right? You don't have to have perfume to go about your daily business. So Judas is really making a way or making a case for utilitarianism as being a virtue. Well, this is of no use anyway. We don't need this. We should, we should sell it. Why not sell the useless perfume uh, and, and use this money as, uh, for something virtuous like giving it to the poor? Why don't we do that? It sounds virtuous, doesn't it? It almost sounds virtuous until you read the rest of the story. You can almost hear him saying, look at this. She's acting in the flesh. What spiritual benefit is there? What, what is being uh, profited by this? Now, if you were here for the, the Christmas series, you, you see that Judas sounds a lot like the pietistic Christians who grumble at excessive Christmas giving, right? That's too much. Look at all these presents. Think of how much kingdom work you could have spent that money on, right? As, is, as if giving a gift to a child was some kind of waste. That's wasted, right? It's, it's very similar, isn't it? Now, if you look at Judas and you look at this text, it tells us his true motives. We actually get to see a, a quick glimpse of the heart of Judas. Verse 6 shows us uh, that Judas doesn't really care about the kingdom at all. That's not what he cares about. He cares about who? Judas. Judas cares about Judas. He cares about himself and what he could get out of the deal. Maybe, like some of the people who tried Christians for excessive Christmas giving, they could have donated that money to the church, and we could have all benefited from it instead of just their family, right? I could have got a little piece of that too. If we would have spread it out thinly across everyone, instead of them giving all those presents to their own kids, what if they just would have donated to the church? We could have got a good new sound system or something like that, right? There's still Judases among us today. And if you look at their hearts, what they really care about is not uh, everyone benefiting, not the poor, not true virtuous things. What they're really caring about is themselves, their own hearts, what they want, what they can get out of it. Now, Jesus' response. What does Jesus think of Mary's over-the-top act? Well, quite simply, Jesus defends Mary's actions. He says, leave her alone. Cut it out, Jesus, Judas. Back off. Mind your own business. Right? This, this is a beautiful thing. Back off, Judas. That's the scriptural verdict. That's what we see. Mary is justified in doing this. Judas is in the wrong, and Jesus even kind of imputes a meaning to the act that Mary couldn't have even known about. You see, Jesus goes deeper than what Mary was probably even thinking. And in the other gospel accounts, Jesus says this is a beautiful thing, and it even gives a purpose for the anointing. He says this is for my burial, right? Mary didn't know that. There's no way Mary could know that. So let's look at the meaning of the occasion. What did it mean for Mary? And we'll look at a moment. What does it mean for us? Well, what Mary thinks she is doing is actually only scratching the surface of its significance. It goes deeper. She thinks uh, she's simply expressing gratitude for Jesus raising her brother from the dead. 
She thinks it's basically just that. She does realize Jesus is God. So in a sense, this is a worshipful act. She recognizes that. She does realize he has the power over natural forces, even death. But what she does not foresee is that her act of extravagant gratitude isn't just an abandoned attempt to heap blessing upon Jesus, her Savior. It certainly is this, but the act goes even deeper than this. And this is where Jesus kind of imputes this meaning that says, no, this is for my burial. I'm about to die. You don't see it coming yet, but I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be buried. And what you're doing now is actually in a way for my burial. And you wouldn't have known this had you had not done it. When she heaped the blessing upon Christ, it was perceived by others as a wasted gift. She poured this nard all over Jesus. It filled the room. It was a year's salary worth of perfume. Think about that. Working for a year long and then getting a bottle of perfume at the end of the year and then just dumping the whole thing out on someone. That's what Mary did. And it was gone in a moment's time. Filled the entire room. The whole room, you could smell it. Why do this? Why pour the whole thing out? It's just going to fade away and like a mist, be gone. But that's Jesus' whole point here. You could sell this and make it stretch much farther, they think. That's what the disciples would think. That's what Judas thinks. But we'll just stretch this out and we'll actually make this last a lot longer. But Jesus says, the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. In other words, seize the moment. Right? You're not going to get this again. This is your chance to show your gratitude. This is your opportunity now. So this anointing was to prepare for his burial, is what it says. This was actually the most fitting thing that Mary could do with that. Right? He was about to be crucified not long after this, and Jesus would not always be with them like the poor would. They could do that at any point. They couldn't anoint Jesus at any point. By Mary anointing Jesus, she prepared him for his burial, and the significance of that is actually far greater than stretching the money thinly across the impoverished community. Think about that. What she did actually is bigger than if they had taken that money and spread it across uh, the poor people around them. When she anointed Jesus, this blessing echoed out in a never-ending story of gratitude. Her gratitude uh, wasn't evenly distributed among the physical poor at that small moment in history. It was endlessly distributed in the gospel story. That's why I said it's good to read the other uh, accounts because when you read the other accounts in Matthew 26, 13, it says this. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Think about that. This is a big event. This is not what you would think uh, would be tied into the gospel story, but this is what Jesus says. This is a significant act that Mary does. So while Judas short-sightedly complains about the wasted 300 denarii, Jesus defends the act and shows Judas how short-sighted he really was. Mary, in in fact, stretched the perfume far greater than Judas could have ever imagined, far greater than she could have even imagined, because we're still experiencing it today. The act wasn't worth 300 denarii. It was priceless. Because we feel it today. It's that same gratitude that you tapped into at the beginning of the story. That is the gospel story that you're connecting into when you get your mind and your heart in this text. So what does it mean for us today? How does it connect to our minds and our own lives? Well, if we look at this and we're honest with ourselves, which I hope you've been uh, doing through this worship, we, like Judas, oftentimes cloak our greed with utilitarianism, don't we? 
We make practical excuses why we should not give excessively, why we shouldn't be over the top. We temper our gratitude with a reasonableness that in the end neuters it of its sacrificial element, right? Where it's not actually sacrificial at all at the end of it. Where you end up giving a blessing to someone, but really that blessing is just your way of getting your junk out of your house and giving it to someone else, right? That kind of thing. Like, I don't need that anyway. We'll just bless them and give them this stuff. Regrifting Christmas presents, that kind of thing, right? Right. So, so this is what we do often. We think, oh, we're, we're going to bless them. And, and when we do this, though, we suppress gratitude instead of expressing gratitude, right? We have to guard against the dangers of utilitarianism when dealing with such spiritual virtues. Gratitude oftentimes would actually propel us to lavishly reward and bless those around us, but our rationalistic and utilitarian brains hold back the reign of our hearts. Right? Our hearts want to do this, but our minds say, eh, I probably shouldn't. Right? Have you had that? Think about it. Have you ever had a blessing come your way, and then you feel an overwhelming gratitude that makes you just about bless the person in return, or maybe even greater, but something utilitarian in you said, now oh, that's too much. That's over the top. I'm, I'm not going to go that far. We should use that money more wisely and just, I've heard this a lot and I've even said it myself, we should just take the blessing without feeling the need to return. Right? You're not going to return the favor, you're just going to take it. Say, thanks, I'll, I'll take that blessing and you sit on it. You sit on the gratitude and what you really do is you suppress the gratitude rather than expressing the gratitude. Church, I felt that literally this week. It's something that we encounter often. In that moment, what we're doing is replaying the same scenario. We're at the crossroads of suppression and expression of gratitude. Which are you going to do? It's our choice at the end of the day. You're going to feel this feeling. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to sit on it and push it down, or are you going to live it out? Is it going to be incarnated in you? Are you going to embody that gratitude that makes you actually want to do something in return? When Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you, okay, let's bring this up to speed. The poor you will have with you is actually another way of just saying there's always going to be an excuse not to give extravagantly. There's always going to be an excuse not to go over the top and do something big. If it wasn't the poor that Judas used as an excuse, it would have been something else. The same for you. If it's not whatever that excuse is, you'll think of something else. You'll try to rationalize your way out of gratitude and expressing that gratitude. The point is that his reason, Judas's reason, wasn't the real reason, was it? And that's what is the hard thing for us to confront. Our reason often isn't the real reason, is it? It was that he was greedy. And we're often greedy too. Right? The Judases that I said are still among us, they're oftentimes right here. Right? They're in our own hearts. It's stuff that we're having to deal with. The reason that we say that we're not going to do that often isn't really the right reason, the true and honest reason. That was why he was so upset about the, the top gratitude. It's because he wasn't getting something out of it. He couldn't be happy for the other people. He couldn't just be simply uh, expressing his gratitude, saying, that's awesome. I want to clap at that. that that's, that's something to applaud. So the implication from this text is that that's the way Judas thinks when we're thinking like that. And Judas thinks that way because he's ultimately concerned with himself. He helps himself to the money bag. And we often do the same kind of thing too. There's, there's strings tied to those things, right? And we don't want to cut those strings. We don't want it just to be a, be a pure blessing. And if we aren't careful, we might find ourselves cloaking our greed with utilitarianism. 
giving a reason that isn't really the right reason. We might be holding back on something that Jesus is actually calling us to when we're experiencing that gratitude. Jesus might be gifting us with gratitude and calling us forth into something, and we're saying no. We're ultimately just saying no to Jesus. So it's clear that John is not advocating a tempered gratitude based upon your current economic uh, circumstances. He's not saying take a look around the next time you're thinking about uh, being uh, grateful for something and see if you should really be grateful. That's actually not what he's saying. John is retelling a beautiful story of extravagant gratitude that acts on the intuitional and irrational even sometimes feeling to bless someone in an over-the-top manner. It might be extravagant. It might even be uncalculated, bizarre, and possibly even perhaps a little bit socially inappropriate. But Jesus is saying that's beautiful. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we need your help as we live our lives. Uh, We often think that we know what we want. We give reasons. Uh, We think about things rationalistically. Um, And Lord, we're oftentimes just not being honest with ourselves. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we look at this text. We look at the heart of Judas. We look at the heart of Mary and see how she is acting. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to, to choose to express gratitude. Because in the other accounts, Lord, you say that that is choosing the good portion. Lord, we pray that we would be like Mary, able to sit at your feet, able to to lavishly express our gratitude, not just to uh, others around us, but to you, Lord. Father, at the beginning of of this service, we, we thought of the most kind thing that someone could have ever done for us. And Father, if we think deeply about that enough, we think of your son Jesus. We think of the gift that we received in Jesus Christ and how that propels us to live a life of gratitude, to go out and grow your kingdom fueled by gratitude. So, Lord, help us to do that. I pray that you would impress on the heart of every one of us to be honest about our sin, because that's what it is when we start to live like Judas. Help us to be honest about that, but also lean into the, the, the feelings that you give to us that are good, that are virtuous, like gratitude, and to take hold of them and to ride them out. Lord, help us to ride the waves of gratitude that come our way to be able to live in your kingdom in a way that is oftentimes over the top. That is oftentimes even upside down as the world looks at it and they say, that doesn't make any sense. Lord, help us to be able to be all right with that and to be able to live with that tension of living in a kingdom that doesn't look like the world. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.